Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. way uh, through uh, the end of Acts chapter 2 over the last few weeks. Um, we've been having a lot of fun looking at this idea of what is an excellent church? Uh, what does an excellent church look like uh, in accordance with the end of Acts chapter 2? Uh, and our, kind of our sub kind of thing has been uh, this beautiful bride that is the church. Um, and we, we come up to uh, a verse today that talks about uh, this idea of reverence and, and fear and wrath. Um, and, and so uh, we don't preach that every week. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up. Like we don't preach the wrath of God and fire and brimstone every week, but we do preach the Bible. Uh, and so sometimes that uh, topic does come up uh, and we want to be faithful to that. Uh, and we want to preach that when it does come up and be faithful to God's word. Uh, and, and sometimes that requires me uh, to also sound harsh in order to communicate what the Bible is saying. Um, and so I just want to preface it where this is not the topic every week. And I don't want to be harsh to you every week because uh, there is grace and mercy, but then there is also important aspects of who God is uh, that we need to understand. And I want to make sure that we're we're clear on that. Um, And so when I come down really hard on you, it's because I love you. Uh, It's not because I want uh, you guys to be walking out of here uh, with this kind of sense of kind of punitive fear that God is going to strike you with a lightning bolt, but rather that, that this is who, this is part of who God is. And it's an important thing to talk about. Um, so, uh, we're going to read our, our passage, um, and, and then we're going to uh, have a look at what um, it says and what it means as well. Uh, so, we're in Acts chapter 2, if you're following along, um, and then starting in verse 42 is our kind of theme passage. It says, they devote um, themselves to the apostles' teaching uh, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord uh, added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, our, our verse that we're kind of focusing on today is Acts 2.43, uh, so we can focus in on that one. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What does that mean for us as a church? Uh, how do we apply that as a church? And it's this sense of being in awe uh, of what God has done uh, through the apostles in that time. Uh, and more broadly speaking, being in, being in awe of who God is. Um, and being in awe, uh, if, if you're like me, uh, the word awe and awesome and all those kind of things has kind of probably been used a little bit more loosely than it probably was 50, 60 years ago. Uh, I used to get in trouble for saying awesome because I was like, it's not God awesome, so you can't say that word. Uh, but we do kind of use that word quite loosely, and, and different translations have tried to kind of retain uh, the meaning of, of what was actually going on there. Uh, some translations will actually say uh, they had fear in their souls, They had fear in their souls because of the signs and wonders that God uh, were performing, was performing through the apostles. And it's quite a, quite a, a faithful way of translating it. They had fear in their souls of who God was and what God was doing. 
Uh, and we're going to be looking at that, this idea of this, this awe or reverence or fear, this deep sense of respect of who God is. We're going to look at how as a church we do that. How do we live that out? What, is it, what does it look like? Uh, and so what we're going to be doing, we're going to be looking at the, the nature of that awe. We're going to look at the direction of the awe and the function of that awe. Or we can think of the, the nature of the fear of God, the direction of the fear of God, and then finally the function of the fear of God. So first, nature. It's a nice little structure for you if you're taking notes. Got a nice and set out for you. Uh, you're welcome. So nature of awe. Uh, when, when I was growing up, uh, I've actually never told this story in public before, so, and my parents generally watch my sermons, so this could be really interesting. Uh, but uh, when I was about, I think, 10 uh, or 11, uh, I had a Nintendo pretty fun, had a lot of good times on it, but uh, one of the kind of rules in our house was that you could only play Nintendo, the Game Boy, on the, on the weekends, um, and you got half, like half an hour, maybe an hour if you've been really good of screen time to, to play on that. Um, and a lot of my friends, uh, their parents were a lot looser with how often they could play their Game Boy, which meant they were, they were doing far better than me uh, in playing it, they were much better, far more experienced, all those kind of things, and so I was falling behind, uh, which is very problematic for my street cred as a 10-year-old. Um, and, and so I'd, I actually devised a plan, I'm, I'm not sure how it really kind of started happening, but what I would do is I would like wake up at two o'clock in the morning um, and play my Game Boy for like three hours. Um, I was living, like the whole way through year six, I was living off like five hours sleep, it was terrible. Um, but I would, I would wake up, like, like clockwork every morning, no alarms needing to be set, uh, and I would play this thing um, for like two, three hours every morning, uh, and, and then go off and kind of live my normal day. But obviously, uh, if I was caught for doing that, which I never was, and once again, I don't think my parents even know, so they might find out today and give me a phone call. But uh, they, if, if like I was done, like if they found out, I was, I would like as end of me. Um, not because my parents were bad, but because I was a good parent. Like, I was doing something that was incredibly naughty. Um, and, and here I was playing my Game Boy. And I knew that if I got found out, I was going to be in, in lots of trouble. Uh, and so I went to great lengths to try and make sure that they would never find out. Um, and so what would happen is I would, like, every morning, I would make sure the volume is turned down. So when, like, the Game Boy, like, bloop, 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 kind of starts up, like, it wouldn't, and no one could hear that there was a Game Boy running in the bedroom. Uh, when my dad would wake up quite early, um, and kind of, like, five to six was, still important gaming time uh, when he was awake and roaming the, the kind of the, the halls. Um, I was like, man, if one day he kind of like opens his door and sees me playing, I'm, like, I'm done. So I'm underneath like all of my covers and quilts uh, so that he could never see me playing my Game Boy and I can kind of pretend, oh, I was just sleeping under the sheets, that is fine. So I, I can remember like visibly like every morning just like wiping the sweat off my Game Boy because I'm sweating underneath the dunas because I'm so hot, trying to make sure that my parents don't find me out that I'm playing my Game Boy in the morning. The fear of my father was in me because I knew that if I was caught, like, I'm done. Like, this is the end. But it was a, a, not a fear that my, my, my dad was, like, out of control or anything like that. It was like my dad loved me and he'd put good boundaries in place. And I feared my father coming in and, and rebuking me for what I have done and me facing the consequences for what I've done. It was, a, it was a fear that, that I should have of my... Like, I, I had disrespected my dad. I'd done the wrong thing. I, I was actively in rebellion against my parents and the rules and the boundaries that they have set in front of me. I was like, five hours of sleep is not healthy for a 10-year-old to kind of live on. Uh, my marks probably dropped off a little bit through that year. Um, I thought I was doing pretty good. Uh, but anyway, it's like, it was, it was not a good thing. 
It was, not, it was a terrible thing to do. Uh, and I had this strong fear that every morning that I would get caught because my dad would just wander in, see me playing the Game Boy, and then I'd be done. No Game Boy forever. Just, like, put the drill through the thing. Uh, but there's this fear of, of, our, of our, you know, the punishment, which is a good and loving punishment. There is a fear that I had that, that was a good and, and, and a healthy fear that I had disrespected my parents and there was something that I deserved because of that. That is a healthy fear that we should have. I shouldn't mess with my parents because they love me, they care for me, they put in things in place and, and they're powerful people. Like I was 10, like I was not overpowering them. I wasn't calling the shots in my household. I didn't own the, the, the house or anything like that. I wasn't paying for the food. I was at their mercy in every way, and I had returned that mercy and that, that kindness that they had shown to me with a complete lack of respect. Complete lack of respect. And, and, and this is how we should fear God. Because not only can God see through the walls and under the sheets to me playing my Game Boy and knew exactly what I was doing every morning, God, but, and not only does God see all things that we do and think, and, and we, like God, like there's no hiding from God, but God also is far more powerful than my dad, far more loving than my dad, even though he is very loving. And, and, and God, like throughout the Bible, we see that he hates sin and rebellion against him. Like that, like that sin and rebellion against God is something that is wrong and evil and it shouldn't happen. Like we should fear God. We should fear the consequences of, of showing that disrespect and, and how he may respond to that. God is not someone that we just freely disrespect. God is not someone that we do not have to give proper respect and awe and fear. Because when we, when we rebel against God, like, well, that's what we're doing. We're showing him a complete lack of respect, a complete lack of fear, and thinking that God, is, he's all fine. Like, it's going to be fine. God's, God's not that mad about that kind of stuff. He's got bigger things to worry about. It's, it's the same as, like, when we, when we speed or, or when we, um, what else do we do? Like, we go do, th- like, whatever it is that's kind of, like, not really following the law. It's like, oh, like, they're not going to worry if I'm doing, like, two over limits. Fine. They've got bigger problems to deal with. Like, it's still di- complete lack of disrespect to the authorities that have been placed in front of us and a, and a power that is far more powerful than us. Like, it's a complete lack of... Re- when, we, when we break the laws that have been placed in front of us, it's a lack of respect and a lack of fear of the consequences and the, and the authorities that have been placed above us. And when we sin, it is a complete lack of respect and fear and awe of the authority that has been placed in front of us. Often we don't respect God. We do what we want. We kind of hold on to those little sins that we have because God's not going to mind too much. We, we go off and kind of live our, our best life in a way that's going to be fine and, and, and kind of like, oh God, like there's mercy and there's grace and we know about all that kind of stuff uh, and it'll be fine because like I know I've got Jesus. And we kind of go off and, and kind of live a life of disrespecting God and we don't fear him because we think that God is just going to be like, oh, it's fine. Like he's the cool parent. But no, like that's, that's a complete lack of respect of who God is. It's a complete lack of respect of the boundaries that God has set in place for us, for us to live a good and healthy life. 
We, we work our worship kind of almost around the busy lives that we have. Kind of God is this little extra on the side. But it's a complete lack of respect for God when we put him in the back. When we keep on doing those little sins, when we, when we kind of make him this second thing, relying on the fact that we know we have grace and mercy, we know we'll kind of be fine in the end, if, but we're rebelling against God, we're disrespecting God. We're acting as if he doesn't punish sin. We're acting as if he doesn't care about our sin. But the truth is he does. God made all things and deserves all things. And we, we use excuses like, excuses like God is about grace all the time. And it's true, like God does have grace for us. But there's a difference between us coming to God and begging for his grace because we are so sorry for what we have done versus us actively sinning, actively kind of putting God in the back seat, actively ignoring God, actively failing to give God the worship he is due because we know that we have grace and that we can continue to sin because it doesn't matter. In, in uh, Malachi chapter 1, uh, it's the last book of the Old Testament. This is like the last thing that God says. Um, and this is how, how it kind of opens up. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? And you think about this. So this is written to, to Judah. Uh, they've gone through, they've been exiled, they come back, their kingdom is in ruins. Uh, everything has kind of gone bad over the last few hundred years for Judah. Like it's just not looking good. In fact, it's terrible. And they're, they're kind of saying, God, you said that you loved us. You promised us all these things. You said that you were going to make us this great nation. All these amazing things are going to happen. We're going to have this king that would have no, like no end and it was going to go on forever for generations and generations. We're going to rule the world. How can you say that you loved us when we're here just in agony? How can you say that you have loved us? And, and he got, the book of Micah goes through and talks about every way that uh, Judah has continued to fail God. Every way. You guys continue to be unfaithful. To, you worship other gods. You, the sacrifices that you have to me are the things that you would normally chuck in the bin. The, the, like that you're not, you're, you're giving no tithes or anything. Like you don't show justice to the poor. You don't care about them. You just serve yourselves. You're, you're going off and, and disrespecting your wives. You're doing all these unfaithful things that were all part of the covenant that we had where you said that you would be faithful to me. You would love me and worship me only. And then in return, you would be my people. How can you say that why aren't you loving me, God, when you have no intention of being faithful to your side of the promise? Like, we, we need to fear God. We are God's people. And God loves us. God has a covenant. We are God's covenant people. We are called to be faithful to him. We are called to fear him. We are called to, to, to worship him and give him what he is due. And us fearing God is an important part of, of who we are and who God is. We, we are called to fear and respect God. Um, point number two, so direction of the awe. So fear is directed towards God. 
Like our, our, our greatest fear, and once again, healthy fear, not kind of like a God's kind of going to you know, have a bad day or something like that and lash out at us. No, it's like a healthy, uh, healthy fear, the thing that we fear most, the thing that we revere most, the thing that we respect most above all things is God. Now, if we go back to, to Acts chapter 2, verse 43, uh, it talks about that they're in awe of the signs and wonders performed by the apostles. So think about how easy it would have been to worship the apostles. Because like, it's much easier to worship them. Much, much easier. They, like, they're the ones that are there physically doing it. You can see them. You can touch them. You can learn from them. They can say really wise and like, kind of like, really fancy things. And, and they can be really nice people as well. It's like, very easy to worship them. Very worshipful people. People who are going around performing miracles, doing amazing things, healing people. Very easy to worship. But everything that they were was a product of God. The reason that they were performing signs and wonders was because of God. The, the reason that, that they were great people who were doing amazing things was because of God. And, and so to worship the apostles rather than God would to be, to be worshipping someone because of what God has done through them. To, to worship, like, and it kind of like you kind of would initially be like, oh, of course, like you wouldn't worship the apostles. Of course, it's God. Of course, you should be worshiping God. But the thing is, like, we often will worship things that God has done through people, or worship things that God has made, rather than worshiping and revering God. So, like, we we worship these people who have been given great football skills of both kinds and so last night we're all watching one or the other or a basketball game or whatever like we're all you know worshiping people and giving value to but they're god-given gifts that people have been given or we go out and and rather than kind of spending time worshiping god and giving worth and value to who he is we go and worship the things that god has created like nature which are great things we go and worship the, the things that god has made that are beautiful but our work, like our work, like the reverence and everything that we give, and every is, is all towards what God has made, not who God is. Or we worship our, our family. We we all, all of our fear and reverence is is kind of tied up in our financial security, or who our kids are going to become, or honoring our parents, and and over and above our worship and and reverence of God and our respect of God, we it'll be our parents or our kids or whatever it is, our, our house. We we place more reverence and fear on, on God, on those things that God has made and given us rather than God himself. We, we live in fear of many things and we constantly find ourselves being in fear of things other than God, over and above God. And it takes away of our worship and our direction of awe towards God. We're focused on worrying about our financial security. And so rather than, than, than worshipping God, we're here working away, trying to make sure that we kind of appease that fear. We're worried about what, what you know, different people will say about us and, and how they see us. And so rather than worrying about our fear of God and giving the, the, the worship and serving God in the way that we should, we rather spend time making sure our friends are happy with us making sure we're wearing the right things, making sure we're doing the right things, living the right life, rather than giving worship and, and living in fear of a God who is far more powerful than friends or family or whoever. We are called to live in fear of God and worship God 
be in awe of God and respect God over and above all other things. Above all other things. And we constantly, like, we constantly wonder, don't we? Like, you keep, every time, like, you look back and be like, why am I so focused on this thing? Why do I keep drifting away from God? Like, why do I keep forgetting who God is and, and, and not looking at who God is? Why do I keep doing this over and over again? And when we think about ourselves as a bride, uh, we, can, we can turn to Hosea uh, chapter, chapter 1. Um, and so Hosea, so um, while Malachi is at the end of the prophets, Hosea is kind of at the beginning. Um, and and this, is, this is like... This is a harsh way to think about a bride uh, when we're talking about us being the bride of Christ. But it says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have a children with her. Uh, For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And throughout, like, Hosea, interesting read if you've never read it before. Like, um, this is, like it's a crazy book because throughout the book, Hosea is, is married to this woman who is unfaithful to him and constantly goes out and, and forgets Hosea, uh, even though Hosea is a great husband. And, and you kind of look and be like, how can you not see that this is the good husband for you? How can you continue to go off and, and do the wrong thing and forget Hosea? And, and the whole point is it's supposed to be a metaphor for the fact that, that God's people are like his bride and they continue to go off and forget God. That's the whole point of Hosea. It's this, this story of, of these people who are unfaithful to the God that had this covenant with them, which is brutal. Because you look there and be like, how can, how can Israel be unfaithful to God? Can't you see that God is a good groom? Can't you see that God is a good God? Can't you see that we need to be, like, that the bride needs to be faithful to God, but we are constantly unfaithful to God? Like, we are, aren't we? Like, we continue to wrestle with that. Like, it's infuriating when we look at our lives and look at how we continue to wander and drift away. We continue to, to do things that don't show re- respect and fear and reverence of our God. We continue to turn and love other things kind of for these, these cheap kind of highs and these cheap kind of moments of happiness and joy rather than worshipping the God who loves us and cares for us, the, the groom that is good and faithful to us. Like, we keep wandering away. We keep failing to show respect that God deserves. And we're called to be a faithful bride to our God. To give him what he deserves. To give him worship for who he is. And this is where we come to the function of the awe the function of the fear, what, what does it mean? And, and so the function is really it's for us to be the bride. It's for us to be the bride of, of Christ. And what that means is for us to function as a church community that brings glory to God and displays the awe of God to the people around us. 
We are called to be a bride of God, to be God's covenant people, to be this bride that, that brings glory to God and shows him what he is worth and, and lives a life that respects who he is, that lives in fear of him, that loves him and cares for him as he has shown so much love and grace and mercy towards us and to display that awe and the wonders of God to the people around us. That is the function of when, when we see how great God is and see how majestic he is, when we see the grace and the mercy that he shows us, we turn around and be like, man, God is amazing. Let's, let's come together and worship him and, and bring him glory. Let's go off and show everyone else how great God is. Hey, guys, have you heard about God and who he is, what he has done for you? Have you heard about Jesus? Let's get together and spend time worshipping God and talking about how great God is, the wonders he has displayed, the amazing things that he has done. We are called to come together and be the bride of Christ. And so here's a couple of things. So one, uh, I am not the bride. I am not a bride. We are the bride. We are called to be a church community together. We collectively together are functioning as the bride, not just one person uh, who happens to be on staff, not just you because you're disgruntled with the rest of the bride uh, and you're rising above and being a true kind of Acts chapter 2 church, doing it the real way that the original Bible and because you followed um, all the original language, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, no, like we are the bride. And often like we're a terrible bride like the bible is very clear that we constantly like we fall short like it's and like it's fair right like we fall short but we collectively as a church community are the bride we are all working together to do this thing we are all active participators of being the bride we're not at a wedding and you're sitting in the pew watching the bride go past and like oh it's a lovely bride no you are the bride you're an active participator in that ceremony we collectively are the bride of Christ and that means that you don't exist as the bride outside of that community it means that you are part of the community like you are an active person in a community of Christians, not doing Christianity by yourself, separated because you're kind of better than the church, because the church isn't good enough, because once again, we're all not good enough and we all fail. But we are all part of this community of being this bride. We are called to be part of a church community in being in awe of God and displaying the awe of God in our community. Secondly, when we are the bride, we are active participators in that. So we're not watching. You are all called to give worship and respect and awe to God in all things. You're not watching. You're not kind of just being there, enjoying the show. You're not kind of walking around with the spiritual gift of critiquing the church. Like, we are all here participating in bringing God glory. We are all actively serving our hearts out because nothing is, is more reverent, nothing is more awesome, nothing is worth devoting your lives to than God. We live for the glory of God. We serve for the glory of God. We arrange our lives for the glory of God. Because nothing else is worth serving, nothing else is, is more fearful, nothing else deserves more reverence, because all those other things are things created by God that will pass away and would end. 
But God is worth serving because he is eternal. He is greater than all things and created all things. We need to serve God. We need to be active participators. We are the bride. We are not watching the bride. We are the bride. We are the bride. Okay, so I want to finish off with this uh, one story that I think has been kind of a, a, a big one for me over the years. Um, I'm not sure if I, I've, I've kind of talked about it a couple times, but uh, I grew up quite often um, doing mission trips in around Thailand and Myanmar, uh, working with this group called the Karen people. Um, and, and so as like a really kind of significant part of my childhood and me growing up in faith. And, and one of the guys that I've always looked up to and has always kind of picked me up uh, has been this guy called Adoniram Judson. I'm not sure I'm trying to pronounce it right. It's a bit of a weird name. Adoniram Judson, uh, he was the first missionary to Myanmar and was one of the people that's uh, broadly responsible for the massive group of Christians uh, that are in Myanmar in the Karen community. Uh, and, and he's been someone that I... Like he, he's been dead for 200 years, but he's still this guy that I kind of like... I look at his story and I'm encouraged by it and picked up by it because quite often, like, ministry is hard. And, and, and not just in like a paid capacity, like in general, like being part of the bride is hard. Like it's painful. There's hurt that we carry around because we're an unfaithful bride. Like we do the wrong thing. And, and ministry is hard because it means sacrificing things. It means giving up different things. Like ministry is hard. Doing and serving God is hard. And Adoniram Judson is a guy that just gets things done. He keeps going throughout it. He, so he moves to Myanmar when he is 25 years old with his wife. Uh, the average life expectancy for someone in that kind of mission area in, in Southeast Asia during that time, due to, I think like malaria, uh, lack of hospitals and all those kind of things, it's five years. You've got a five-year life expectancy. It takes three to four years to learn the language. So you're dedicating yourself to pretty much the re- like most of the rest of your life, you're going to be spending learning a language, and then you're going to go out and do it, be a missionary for a couple of years and then probably die. That's kind of like the way that things are working. Adoniram, uh, he manages, he makes it to, to 13 years. At this point, so, 18, so 13 years of, of being, uh, living in this, this country, away from his family, away from things as him and his wife. Uh, by that point, he has 18 converts. After 13 years, not only does he have 18 converts, his wife has died, his three children have died, he's been arrested for the better part of two years, he has crippling depression to the point where he has dug his own grave and just sat there and looked at it. He is traversing through a jungle filled with tigers and all these different kind of things and a, a, like a, a million ways to die, and he's kind of wondering, being like, I don't know where God is. That's, that's where he's at. But he continues on. Adoniram continues to, to try and, and serve God and, and make God known in this place. And he comes across uh, this, this Karen guy uh, who was a slave who he paid for his freedom. He finds out that this guy has murdered 30 people. Uh, he's illiterate. He speaks basically none of the language that Adoniram has learnt, uh, and so it's pretty hard to communicate different things. So the guy's murdered more than people in his church, um, and this is his new disciple that's going out. He hears about Jesus and gets saved. 
The crazy thing is, this guy uh, knew a little bit about the Karen kind of culture, and they had this kind of tradition of elders where they had this pseudo kind of Old Testament belief where there was a God who created all things, this, uh, this story of like the sin and rebellion against God, but one day this Messiah was going to come and redeem everyone. Who would have thought? And so all of a sudden, like, Adoniram, like, gets this young kind of 30-year-old illiterate murderer with an anger problem uh, to go out and, and he just got, starts talking to all these Karen communities about Jesus and all of them are like, oh, it's the Messiah that we're waiting for. So all these people start coming to Christ um, and, like, all of a sudden, like, 13 years of 18 converts and then by the time he's finished, he's got, like, 100 churches going. He, he makes his way back to America. He's his household name because not only has he outlasted his five years, he's been there for like 35 years. Adoniram's just absolutely killing it. He's everyone's kind of, he's this famous kind of rock star missionary taming Southeast Asia. Uh, and and it, what happens is they come here and want to learn about his, his dealing with tigers and, and how he's managed to, to share the language and, and all the different things that he's overcome and all these ma- amazing stories. Like Thailand, like it's an awesome place. And like, man, me and my, like those mountains, like there's so many kind of like mysteries and, and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's truly amazing. And so they're wanting to hear this famous missionary come and speak about his exploits and all the amazing things that he's done. And, and what he does, he comes up, he can barely speak because his lungs are so destroyed from all the different sicknesses that he's endured. And so he's having to whisper uh, to this interpreter, kind of like it's going to like preach on behalf of him. Uh, and he comes to share with them and he comes up and preaches to them and he says, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's the best story you'll ever hear. Never mind like anything that I've done. Never mind any of the crazy stories that I've lived through. Like you'll never hear a better story than the story of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. And these people who have literally like there's like train lines that are like in like ruins and like traffic jams everywhere uh, because they've all come to hear this guy speak about his exploits in this foreign land. And he's just like Jesus died on the cross for your sins, everyone. And one day I will stand before Jesus and have to give an account for what I've done. And I want to tell him nothing other than I came and preached at the awe and the wonders of who God was and who he is to all people wherever I went. Because nothing was more important than the awe and the fear of God. Nothing is more important than worshipping our God. And when you sit there and you think about how hard it is to do those things, like for me, when I'm like, man, this is hard, I'm having a hard week, I think about Adoniram. Three of his wives died. About eight of his children died in their first two years, like in their infancy. Like he was, he, he, his body just slowly fell apart over the space of 35 years as a missionary over there. And he could think of nothing better than to come back home and tell the story of how Jesus died on the cross because he feared the Lord and who he was. Jesus is a great God. Jesus is an awesome God. He made, God made all things. God is in control of all things. God is worthy of all worship and praise. And so we come together and stand in awe of who God is and how great he is. We give him the praise that he deserves. How we pray. Father, we thank you. You're an amazing God. You deserve all praise. You love us deeply. 
You sent your son to die on the cross for our sins despite our unfaithfulness, despite the fact that we continue to run away and and fail to show you the worship that you deserve. Lord, help us to be in awe of you. Help us to show you the respect that you deserve. Help us to, to see who you truly are and to live a life that shows who you truly are. And Lord, help us to be the bride that you call us to be. Help us to come together as a community, despite our flaws, despite who we are, despite all the the brokenness that we experience, but to come together and show worship and praise towards you. To commit together as a church to, to serve our hearts out so that people may know that you are a good and gracious God who created all things, who is the master of our universe who offers us grace freely. We thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.